Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Happy Mother's Day. It's good to see everyone uh, here this morning. Glad if you're joining us online, glad you're with us there also. Um, I, I, I'm 11.30 hungry already. Uh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so just know that if I preach long and you're wondering if I'm ever going to be quiet so you can go eat, I'm feeling the same way, okay? Uh, but first, before I get into my message this morning, I want to, there, there's kind of been a, a public call for repentance uh, from me. Uh, and I feel it's probably justified. Yesterday there was a, there was a public uh, call for uh, a moment of repentance from me, so I, I'm going to go ahead and, and do that. Billy Murray, where are you? Where did you sneak up? There, there you are. Hi, Billy. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I carried a fence against my brother uh, over this weekend. Uh, there was a dessert auction that was raising money for the Dominican Republic trip, uh, the mission trip this year, and there was a fruit salad. And for any of you Wiggles fans growing up, yummy, yummy. Uh, so thank you. You're welcome for that earworm right there. But uh, I kind of gave the not-so-subtle hint to my wife that that needed to be mine. Um, and at the last minute, the dirty car salesman comes in, and this is, this is the same man that will tell you he knows really nothing about electronics or how technology works, but somehow he's figured out the algorithm to, at the moment before the bidding ends, it puts his final bid on like 12 <laughs> desserts, and he swooped in and he got that. Me and my sister-in-law had it figured out. We were, we were going to get it. We were going to split it, and then Billy Murray, oh, <laughs> Billy Murray. Some of y'all had bids on other things that he did that to, so you can relate to what I'm talking about here. But he gets there yesterday, and my wife tells me with the typical Billy. She said, Billy and Linda came in, just being Billy and Linda. You know, Linda all sweet and everything, and Billy coming in with that Cheser cat grin. You all know the look. You know the one I'm talking about. He, he, he did that so he could give it to me. So he blessed his pastor. I had to repent before the Lord yesterday. Now I'm repenting before you and Billy. There will be no end to the amount of crow that I have to eat as a result of doing this. Okay, I'm aware of that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a lot of ideas, Billy. You have a lot of ideas. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. We go to the book of Ephesians chapter... We're going to be continuing our look at, um, at the book and Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, which was also a circulating letter to the churches at Asia Minor, uh, but primarily to Ephesus. And we're going to be reading verses 7 through 13 this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, this unsearchable riches of Christ. 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for all the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Father, I just thank you for this time. I pray that your, uh, the reading of your word is pleasing to you. I pray that you open our hearts, open our ears to receive, and use my voice as your instrument this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we left off last week in verse 6, which stated that the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we talked about the mystery last week and how that mystery that Paul was talking about was hinted at all through the Old Testament in several chapters in Genesis, in the book of Psalms, in multiple chapters in Isaiah, in Amos and Hosea and in Joel. This was hinted at that the mystery was that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was for both Jew and Gentile, which Gentile being everybody who wasn't a Jew. And I would, I would venture to say that probably, if not 100% of us, at least a good 99% of us in here this morning are Gentiles. So that's really good news for us. So I thought that, you know, there's this pivot point in verse 6 that says all of this is made possible. And if you uh, have been here with us, if you've listened to uh, our year through Ephesians through these first two chapters and into verse 3, you'll realize that everything that Paul talks about is dependent upon this one word, this one thing called the gospel. So I thought we really need to focus on the gospel a little bit more in depth than what we have and what we typically do on Sunday morning. So I thought I'm going to, this Sunday, I'm going to really dive deep into the gospel. And what is the gospel? And I got to studying and researching this week and realized one week's not going to be enough. So at some point in the future, we're going to do a study on what is the gospel because it's going to take far longer than just a singular message to unpack what the New Testament gospel is. But one of the interesting points that I found out is that this word gospel, when we think about it, we think of who? Jesus? Right. Gospel wasn't an exclusive word back in this culture. It was a very frequent word, actually, one that was used very regularly. You know, we think of it in our culture today and in our world, when you hear the word gospel, you think of the Christian faith of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Good news. But back then, it was used as a phrase similar to what we would say breaking news or news flash. It did mean good news, but it meant that there was getting ready to be something declared. There was going to be something heralded that was good news. And actually, if, this, if the English translated a couple of Paul's letters word for word, like seriously word for word, Paul intros a couple of his letters by this statement where he says, please do not forget, or I urge you, or I beseech you, brethren, to remain true to the gospel that I gospeled you. That'd be a fun read, wouldn't it? Stay true to this gospel that I gospeled you. 
So it meant a declaration of good news, of something good that was happening. And since we've already, Brett's already gotten us on the topic of food, I did read of one humorous little antidote story that, that took place back in the Roman culture. There was one time that a citizen was throwing a massive feast, and it said that he sent out one of his sermons to proclaim the gospel that he was having a feast. And see, that's a gospel we can get on board with, right? That's the good news. He was sharing the good news that he's having a feast. So this word gospel, while to us, means something very specific. In the Roman culture, in the Greco-Roman times, it had a wide variety of uses. But at the very foundation, it means good news. And that's what Paul begins to talk about in, in verse 7 here in chapter 3. He's talking about of this gospel. When he begins to say, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. I want us to look at a couple things here in this word grace, because Paul uses this, he teaches on this, this is a theme of several of his writings, is this grace, which Paul first indicates that God is the source of grace. There's no other source of grace. It's God. Now, we can have grace and extend grace one to another, but when it comes to redemption, when it comes to restoration, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to salvation, God is the primary source. And what we see Paul talking about in grace, it does a couple things in this. Number one, it humbles us. God's grace will always humble us because Paul then goes on to say that I, it was God gave it to me, I who am the least of all the saints. Now, don't look at this passage and think that Paul is talking about, oh, you know, kind of the fake piety, that fake humility. You know, I heard one preacher say one time that he was so humble, he was humble that the H was silent. But he's not talking about this false piety. Paul's making a recognition here of God's grace was given to me who didn't deserve it. Remember last week we, we used this statement over and over and over again that all of us are eligible, but none of us are qualified. Whenever we start talking about the goodness, the grace, the mercy, and the love of Jesus Christ, all of us are eligible, but not a single one of you that's hearing my voice this morning is qualified to receive it. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I am the least of all the saints. I am the least deserving. Because if you're familiar with Paul's story, he was not always Paul. He was not always a Christ follower. He was once Saul of Tarsus. He was once a religious zealot of the Jewish faith that persecuted Christians, that went after, that tortured them, that killed them, that persecuted them, that saw it as his life goal and his life's mission to rid the planet of people who were followers of the way at that point was what they were called. They weren't called Christians yet, but those who were Christ followers Paul felt like it was his religious obligation and his religious requirement to make sure that he ridded the world of as many of those Christ followers as possible. Paul, Saul at that point, we would equate to a modern-day terrorist. Someone who took upon a banner and a cause to rid the world of Christianity and did so through violence and terror, that is who Saul was. 
And he did so in the name of God. And Paul has this recognition that I am the least deserving of all the saints. And you know what? I can look up here this morning, I can look out at you all, and I can say that I am the least deserving of all of these saints for God's grace. But I can also look at each one of you and say that you are the least deserving of God's grace too. And I love that passage that Kennedy read for us in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still in sin, Christ loved us and he died for us. We're all eligible, but none of us are qualified. Amen? The second thing, it, so it humbles us, grace humbles us. The second thing it does is it empowers us. Continuing with Paul's story, he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts. He was actually going to, to persecute more Christians. And the Lord encountered him, struck him blind, put something like scales on his eyes for three days and said, Look, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He had this encounter with God, but not God not only knocked him off of his horse, not only had an encounter with him, not only stripped him of his identity at that point, but he empowered him to be his disciple. He empowered him to be his apostle to the Gentiles. He empowered him to share his message. Church, hear me when I tell you this morning that if there is one thing that all of us share in common through the blood of Jesus Christ is we share the empowerment of his grace to share his message. Period. All the time. No exceptions. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about here, him being the apostle to the Gentiles, him sharing the gospel, that this is the vehicle, this is the conduit that this happens through, is this grace, this empowerment, this gospel. I had someone, I was on a phone conversation earlier this week talking about the gospel, talking about grace, and I had someone challenge me, and they said that if you're talking about something else more than you're talking about the gospel, then you need to change your message. Ouch. But think about that. What's the ratio in your life? I, 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 I tried to figure mine out. I, I, I didn't go too, too deep into it until I figured out, I don't like this, I don't want to do it anymore. How much are you talking about the gospel? as opposed to what you're talking about other things. Because there's no reason, there's no justification for us not to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because why? Because he's empowered us to do so through his grace, through his mercy, through his love, through his Holy Spirit. He has empowered us to share the gospel. Now I kind of want us to look at, uh, at, at what we're talking about in verses 8 and 9 here where Paul talks about proclaiming the gospel. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in the age, for ages in God who created all things. Paul talks about this unsearchable riches. That's what he's talking about that the gospel is, that it's unsearchable, undiscoverable. You'll never be able to find it. You'll never be able to figure it out. You'll never reach the end of it. And as a matter of fact, Paul went so far as to make up a word. This Greek word that's translated unsearchable, 
is actually not even a Greek word. Paul was a preacher through and through. I mean, you know, we'll just make up words up here and then go on like we, you know, that's an actual word. But Paul was talking about that this is so deep, this is so rich, this is so merciful, this is so full that I don't even have a word to describe it. You see, we hit our stumbling blocks when we try to figure out the gospel. When we try to make it make sense, everything makes sense up here. And you know, and, and, and we've, we've known people, we've maybe even been the people who struggle with trying to, wanting this urge and need to understand before we commit to it. Folks, his gospel, you're never going to exhaust it. You're never going to figure it out. You're never going to reach a level of complete and total understanding with it. That's by design. That's how he created it. He's God. He knows all of it. We're not. We don't. That's not saying not to search for him or seek him or study his word. Do that. But never allow your lack of understanding of all the details to become a stumbling block in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's called faith. It's the evidence things hoped for, that substance of things not seen. And then he talks about this mystery again. And again, this is him once again reinforcing a point that this message is for everyone. Jews, Gentiles, it is for everyone. He talks about this bringing to light. And you know, I, I was looking for a good illustration about this, and I thought, man, you know, I, I, I read about this, this light because, again, this mystery, this goodness of God with the Gospels for all people has always been there. We just haven't seen it. We saw in the Old Testament where there were glimpses of it. But it's never been revealed until now. That's what Paul's talking about. That it had light shone upon it. And I thought, what good illustration would be for this? And then it hit me. I thought, man, this is a, this is a deep revelation. This is modern day philosophy. This is going to rattle them to their core because all of us are probably familiar with it. But in the classic Finding Nemo, when they have to go down to the depths. You know, P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. Anybody? You know, they lose that mask. And they've got to go down into the trench. I maybe know a little bit more about Nemo than what I probably should. But they go down there, it's like super dark, and then all of a sudden, like one of those fish, you know, one of those weird things that's got the light up there, all of a sudden it just illuminates and you can see things. You see, when you get down to the bottom of the oceans, when you, when you get down towards the bottom, it's so dark that you can't see without some form of light. When you turn on the light, you can see what's around you. My question is, is when we get into places like that, when we, see, when we are in dark places, do things still exist even though we can't see them? Yes, it just takes the light to expose them for us to be able to see them. And that's what Paul's talking about here, that this mystery has been around. It's not like God just came up with it. It's been around. It just needed the light revealed to it. And that light was Jesus Christ. This morning, please understand that when Genesis chapter 3 happened, when the fall happened, 
when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, when they fell into sin and they disobeyed God, please don't think that it was at that moment that God went, oh, I've got to come up with a plan now. Okay, let's see. What am I going to do here? Uh, okay, well, let's kick them out of the garden first thing. Then let's, let's set up a, a series of covenants. Let's give them some commandments. Okay, Abraham, you're going to get the covenant. Okay, Moses, you're going to get the commandments. Uh, now we're going to need to set up uh, some, some judges. Now we're going to need to set up some prophets. Now we're going to need to set up these systems. Now we're going to need to set up these sacrifices. And it's like we view it sometimes as God was just trial and erroring through this thing. It's like, oh, covenant didn't work. Oh, commandments didn't work. Oh, prophets didn't work. Oh, judges didn't work. No, Jesus Christ was God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't like that in the moment, 2,000 and some years ago, God went, I've got a great idea. Jesus, you go. No, it was his plan from the beginning. And Jesus Christ came and brought light to it. So if we look at verses 10 and 11, we'll see this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a real big repeat after me kind of preacher, but I would like for everyone to say the word eternal. eternal. According to the eternal purpose so all eternity past, all eternity future. His eternal purpose was realized in Jesus Christ. And I kind of want us to look at that phrase here. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God could be revealed. So grace is the conduit for the gospel in our lives, in our hearts. Church, we, according to this passage, are supposed to be the conduit for that gospel, that grace that we have received to pass it on to the world. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that gospel, that good news, that love, that mercy, that joy, that peace, is supposed to be shown through the church. So allow me to soapbox for just a moment. I fear and I believe that the church, capital C Church, especially in America, is known far more for what we're against than what we're for. Can I say that again? I believe that the church overall is known more for what we're against and what we're for. We've declared and spoken and yelled louder about the things that we're against than what really we should be, and that's the things that we're for. We are for Jesus Christ. We're for His love. We're for His peace. We're for His mercy. We're for His justice. We're for His unity. We're for Jesus Christ. But I think that the voices that are proclaiming that have been drowned out by the louder voices proclaiming what we're not, what, 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 what we're against, what we don't like. And I'll go back to 2 Corinthians 5, or 1 Corinthians 5.15 again, as I did last week, that 
Is it not God's job to judge the world? You judge. You take care of what's happening within the house. You take care of what's happening within the brothers and sisters. You hold each other accountable. You love one another. You hold yourselves to a standard. But leave the judgment of the world and of sinners to God. We need to be... And and again, the high priestly prayer in John 17... God, that they would be one as we are one. Also in the Gospel of John is that they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, right? So ask yourself that question. Do people hear me more as a believer, as a son or a daughter of the king? Do they hear more of what I'm against or what I'm for. Now, I'm not saying that we don't take stands for what we're against. Please don't read into that. Don't read into that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is when the volume of your voice as to what you're against is louder than what, it's, what you're for, there's a problem. And your message is no longer the love of Christ. It's becoming your personal preferences. Let me say this. People are not your enemies. And, and newsflash, sinners are going to sin. You're welcome. Because, I mean, we, we get shocked whenever sinners sin. Right? I can't believe they did that. Well, listen, I'm not a sinner, but I sin. I'm a believer. I'm a blood-bought child of God, but yet I sin. I should be more shocked when I sin than when a sinner sins. Ouch, I don't like that. Don't like that. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual one. So that person who holds fundamentally different ideals than what you hold, they are not your enemy. That person who has a different belief system than you have, guess what? They're not your enemy. That person that you have a difficult time standing beside or being beside any time that you're around them, they are not your enemy. If they believe differently fundamentally than you, they are not your enemy. If they don't believe in Jesus... They're not your enemy. If they follow another world religion, they're not your enemy. If they live a different lifestyle than you, they are not your enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But our battle is a spiritual one. I tell the staff just about every time that we brought someone on here as staff or put them in a ministry position a leadership position one of my first things that I'll tell them is that your skin's going to have to get thick to be in ministry your skin's going to have to get thick and you're going to have to realize that it's not a personal attack it may feel personal it may sound personal they may even use your name but it's not a personal attack. 
because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But ours is a spiritual battle. So with that understanding, there is not a person who you encounter, whether they believe the same way that you do, whether they agree with the same things you do or not, there is not a person that you encounter that you should not be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Well, I don't know. It's an awkward conversation. Yeah, it's awkward. But which is more valuable to you? You not being awkward or them actually having hope of eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ? Because that's what's on the line. And I don't ever want to stand in front of God, in front of the time that I'm being judged, and, and go, well, yeah, <laughs> you see, what happened was, I didn't, I didn't tell them about you because it was just kind of weird. I don't want that on my hands. So here's my closing question. I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team, if they would, to come back up. My closing question is this. When was the last time that you shared the gospel with a non-believer? When was the last time that you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone who was not already a Christian? When was the last time you shared your testimony with someone? When was the last time you told them about what God had done for you? You know, most of, I, I'm not going to ask you to, to hold your hands up or to make a recognition of this, but I would gather to say that the majority of us in here have never really even put a whole lot of thought into what our testimony is. So I developed a little something on our website to help you guys because this is going to be something you're going to need just down the road just a little bit here in the here coming up this year. At FCCGrayson.com forward slash testimony, we've got a little bit of a form there to help you develop what your testimony as a believer is. And I want to encourage you all to visit that. We'll put links out for it. But if you're here and you have never put into words your testimony of what God has done for you, we've got a tool now on the website that can help you to do that, to at least begin the foundation of it. So take some spiritual inventory this morning. We are called to be declarers of the gospel as children of god we need to be sharing the gospel amen y'all didn't act like i that you were real convinced of that i promise you it's a commandment and not from not from the new ben james version of the bible either okay it's it's in the <laughs> jesus said it he meant it so much boom the words turn red Share your faith. Share your testimony and tell people in your life about the good news of the gospel.